0: Welcome to Central Baptist Church of Livingston, Texas. We're glad that you've chosen to study God's Word with us today. We'd invite you to visit our website, centrallivingston.com, to learn more about our mission to preach, to teach, and to live the gospel for the glory of God. Now, open your Bible or your Bible app and study God's Word with us. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I love to sing with you. And uh, I love when y'all get loud. The reason I like these, you know, because like we want to get as loud, we want to get louder than a Yordan Alvarez 450 foot home run deep center field, don't we? Yeah. Because we come in here and we worship Jesus, Right. And he is, he is the King of kings and the, and the Lord of lords. So, you know, when we pray, um, we're going to pray now. And I uh, want to invite you to come and pray with me here at the front um, if you want to come. And so we're open for you to feel free to come. Um, but let me say we're going to pray for a couple things this morning. Um, I want to... Uh, just ask us first of all to pray for this coming Tuesday's election across our nation and you know we have some very very important uh, elections that are occurring both here in Texas and across the country we want to pray for our nation fervently um, and we want to ask you and I want to ask you to pray with me throughout the day on Tuesday we're going to talk about that at the end of the service as far as the voting and all of that but um, I just want to ask you to pray for our nation this coming Tuesday we're going to pray for our nation now the second thing I want to ask you to do today is, um, uh, is we want to pray for our military today, right? This coming week, we have Ver- Veterans Day coming up. We want to honor uh, those of you who are veterans. Um, and families of veterans. So what I want to ask you to do, if you are a veteran of our nation, served in one of our military armed forces, branches of our armed forces, or if you're an immediate family or family member of someone who is serving or has served in our armed forces, I just want you to stand up, okay? We're gonna have a special word of prayer uh, for you and look at all the people around our, con- our congregation. Yep. yep. We want to have a special word of prayer uh, of thanks for God, for you, for those of you who have served, but also those who are serving and who have served to our um, immediate family members in the room, we want to pray and be, be willing to, th- to remember them today as well, uh, wherever they might be around our, our nation today. So let's have a word of prayer. Let's ask God to, uh, 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 to move in these two areas. Father, we come to you. We thank you this morning for the gift of worship. Uh, for Lord, you did not tell us just to worship you. You told us and taught us how to worship you. Um, both in truth, because we would not even know what to sing. We would not even know how to worship you. We would not even know who you are, the God in which we worship without truth, without your revelation. And God, you have revealed yourself to us in very specific ways, but also in very general ways. God, we look around this world today. We know and understand that there is no way, possible way, we could have brought ourselves into this world. We look at creation and we see all of the intricate systems and processes of just the human body and life cycles and God, all of the intricate things that you have created and understand that there was a designer, there was a creator. We also thank you for how you have revealed who that creator is in your word and you Lord showed us in your word who you are. You then revealed your purpose and plan for our life through our Lord Jesus Christ And we thank you, Jesus, that, Lord, you showed us who not only you are, but we showed us who we are in relation to you, God, that we are cut off from you, that we are, Lord, uh, a people that are broken and sinners and far from you, but, God, you stepped into this world and you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You saved us on the cross and from the grave, and we rejoice in that this morning. We sing about it. We sing about that abundant life you promise us, Jesus. We sing about that eternal life that we just sung a moment ago in reminder of heaven and what heaven will look like and what heaven will be like. And on this side of heaven, we can't fully understand. But Lord, on Sundays, when we gather together as the church, we get a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like, uh, just a small glimpse. But Lord, there we will worship you for eternity and we thank you for that reality. And Father, this morning we come and pray for our nation. We ask, God, for your hand to be upon our nation right now. It needs you so desperately. You have blessed this nation beyond any nation you've ever blessed in the history of the world. God, we are thankful for the way in which you have provided so much for America. You have given America so much. You've blessed us with so much. And, Father, we just come to you and pray right now on behalf of our government We pray on behalf of those that are in positions of power. We pray, Father, for those who um, are making the decisions on behalf of our nation, we pray for them. But God, we just pray for our nation, and we pray like right now that your will would be done on Tuesday. That Lord, these elections would break, they would fall according to the way you desire them to fall and to break. And the candidates that would be chosen to be put in these positions of power, would be people, Lord, who at least respect you, who at least respect the values that you have shown us in your word, that you would, Lord, put in positions of power in our nation, people who respect and value human life at every level, from the womb to the tomb, Lord. We pray that you would put in place people who, Lord, at least have a biblical worldview of of what marriage looks like, and, and gender looks like, and humanity looks like according to what your Bible teaches us, not according to the way we feel. God, that America would turn away from its feelings and turn towards you to solve its problems, to bring about healing. God, you have blessed us with so much, Lord, that we would be good stewards of these elections, that we would be good stewards of this nation, of our democracy, of our freedoms, of our republic. God, we just pray for your hand to be upon our nation here this coming Tuesday. God, we pray for our veterans. Thank you for their service of our nation. For Lord, your word tells us um, that the way we gain life is we give it away. That is a biblical principle that we see in the Bible. And Lord, you show us how to serve and give away our life, even for our own nation, practically speaking. And God, we thank you for these men and women who have served faithfully in our armed forces. We pray for them, that your hand would be on them, that your hand would be with them. We pray for those veterans who are not in the room, but their families are standing here today, God. We just pray for them, that, God, your hand would be with them, that you would watch over them, that you would protect them, Lord. So many come back from combat and come back from, uh, from, from being in hard positions, seeing things, hearing things, experiencing things, God, that no human being should, but they do, and they suffer when they come home. And we ask, God, for you to come alongside them and help them to meet You, a God who loves them, a God who values their lives, a God who can heal, a God who can can transform. And just as you transform us from being dead in sin to having life, so we pray that you would transform those who are suffering and struggling with the, the residual effects of being in combat and other things here now out of the military we just pray for you to come alongside them thank you for their families thank you for all of our veterans families in the room that are standing thank you for the sacrifice that they have made and uh lord we just pray for our our military even active military right now that you would watch over them everywhere they are serving around this world god keep them safe and bring them home safely to us we love you lord and we are here to worship you We're here to, Lord, look into your word. You have a word for us today. So, God, would you just calm our hearts? Would you give us a singular focus on you, that the distractions from our minds would go away, that, Lord, we would have, that you would have, but rather our undivided attention, Lord, and give us the faith to believe and respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can return to your seats. Welcome once again. It's good to see you again this morning. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're enjoying your, your Sunday morning. Listen, take your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to look at all of Joshua chapter 2 today. We're going to look at a very, very important story for us here that, uh, that we're going to see in God's Word. We're going to kind of walk through the story together as we walk through the story and the narrative of the story this morning. So we're not going to read it all on the front end, don't worry. Uh, but we will walk through the story together. You know, I think when when it comes to our lives, we meet a lot of people in our lives, don't we? From start to finish. Think about all the people that you've met. You can't remember them all. (laughs) But but we meet people consistently. You meet people... In your everyday rhythms of life, you meet people at the store, you meet people in the, in the fast food line, you meet people in work, you meet people that you go to school with, you meet people and you inter- interact with people all the time. You have family members, you have extended family members. There are people who are in your life for a season and then you don't see them for 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe you have just a short season with them and then they're gone. I have these people in my life. I can remember I had maybe two or three, four years with them and then boom, they're we're gone from each other. They go on with their life, I go on with my life. I want you to think this morning before we move into Joshua chapter 2 about those people in your life that are really, really far from God. I mean far from God. People in your life that you can remember or that you know currently who are just distant from the Lord right now in their lives. Maybe it's someone who deeply harmed you or deeply hurt you. You're just like, yeah, when I think of somebody who needs Jesus, I think of that person. I think of that guy. I think of that person. Maybe it's a family member that when you are, we're getting ready to come close to uh, going into the holidays, right? We're going to have Thanksgiving. We're going to have Christmas. We're going to be around our extended family members again. And some of you are like, I can't can't do it another year. I don't want to sit across the room from that guy. I don't want to sit across the room from that cousin or that brother or that mom or that dad who deeply hurt me and deeply harmed me. I want you to think about those individuals that are far from God, and then I want you to ask yourself the question, do they deserve the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God? I want you to ask yourself that question. Maybe it's people that deeply, deeply have hurt you, deeply, deeply have harmed you. I'll tell you where we are in the story, Joshua chapter 2. The people of God, of course, have taken God up on his offer. That if you will follow me, if you will surrender to me, if you will obey me, if you'll engage in what I want you to do, people of God, then then, then things will go well for you. I will give you the land. I will give you uh, life. I will give you rest from your enemies. I will give you blessing. Think about this nation, these people. People that were not once a people, and yet God made them into a nation, a people. A family of people, hundreds of thousands of people living in Egypt, being whipped, being beaten, having no home, having no rest, having no blessing. Just promises, just promises seeing them come out of Egypt and come across the, the, seeing the, the Red Sea split apart, come into this wilderness and they're hungry and their bellies are hungry. They're scared to death because they know Pharaoh's after them and they start to complain and whine and be angry at God and be angry at Moses, their leader. Because remember, Moses is simply doing what God tells him to do. And yet they, they follow Moses into the wilderness, and then they get to Mount Sinai, Moses comes to the top of Mount Sinai. Think about this with me. He comes to the top of Mount Sinai. He, he visits God. He's with God. God then says to him and interrupts Moses in the middle of it and says, you better go down to the bottom of the mountain because my people, well, they've just taken their gold and they've just melted it together, and they're, a, they're worshiping some kind of gold calf. <laughs> and I'm highly, highly offended by that, God says. So is Moses, which leads him down to the bottom of the mountain. He takes the stone tablets. He smashes them against the rocks. He's so angry at them. How could you do this? God brought you out of Egypt. He brought you through the, through the, through the Red Sea. He, brought you, he has sustained you at every level, and yet you were willing to do this. Aren't we like that? God then brings them into the precipice of going into the promised land. Number 12, they're supposed to go into the promised land on behalf of Moses. He sends them in, representatives of every one of the tribes of Egypt. And they come back with a bad report. There's no way we can take out these armies. There's no way we can forge these, these, these cities and, and the, the walls of these cities. There's no way. There is no way. And God says, are you kidding me? Moses says, no, 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 we need to, no, no, there's no way. Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 are like, we have God people did he not just bring us out of egypt did he not just split the red sea did he not just give us and sustain us give us food and water through the desert no no but but you haven't seen the walls no 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 let's follow god let's listen to god they wouldn't follow him and so he turns them around sends them into the wilderness to die and here we are generation two on the precipice once again to go into the Promised Land. Moses himself, Moses himself is dead. Joshua now is their leader, and now they are at a place—a monumental task. They have a promise that has been given to them, uh, given to them, given to Joshua. The people have collectively said yes. If you look back at chapter one, verse sixteen, notice what it says. We saw it a week ago, and they answered Joshua, "All that you have commanded us, we will do. Whatever you send, wherever you send us, we will go." A collective yes. We want the land, we want the blessing, we want the rest, we want the life. All the things that God has promised us and we're willing to follow you, Joshua, because God is walking with you, Joshua. Joshua, we're willing to to follow God. Whatever he says to do, we will do. However outlandish thing he tells us to do, and we're gonna see some outlandish things, y'all, in Joshua that God tells them to do. Why? Because he wants them to trust him. Just trust me. Don't follow your own logic, don't follow your own hearts, trust me. No matter how outlandish it is, just trust me. Do what I want you to do. By faith, walk and live the way I want you to and things will go well for you and they say a collective yes in verse 16 They're like, yes, we're all in. But here's the thing. There's a three-day window before they go into the promised land, remember? The people of God here are waiting in chapter one going into chapter two. They're ready and they're prepared and they have this promise of the land from God. You know what they don't have? They don't have drones, they don't have reconnaissance aircraft. Remember, this is a generation that hasn't seen the promised land. The 10 who did, died. Joshua and Caleb have, but the rest have not. So what does Joshua do in verse one? Well, I want to tell you the story this morning because what does Joshua do? He, 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 he's going to send these spies into the promised land. I'll tell you the story this morning. It's in five parts, so you can follow along with me. We're going to read parts of chapter two, maybe not all of it, but, uh, but I want to tell you the story this morning. First of all, Joshua sends spies into the land once again. Remember, he has seen the promised land. He knows it's flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's blessed by God. They've been used to living in, in sand. This is a place that is blessed by God. So he sends spies into the land. Look at verse one. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men, only two, secretly through Shittim as spies. And this is what he says to them. Go and view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged There. It was a clear mandate. They were to go and view the land. The word land is used four or five times, not only in this passage, but way back when Moses is about to send the spies into the land, there is this word land that continues to come up. This was a place, this was a promise that God had given his people. They were simply to bring back word here in verse one. They were simply to bring back word, not to the whole nation. They weren't to report to everybody. They were to come back to Joshua and say, Joshua, this is what it's like to Joshua only. It was a reconnaissance mission. It was a military mission. They were to be incognito, if you will, going into the promised land and they were to report back from what they saw as we're going to see this morning in Jericho, the city, the great city of Jericho. So Joshua sends these spies and they come and then we see this unexpected stay in verse 1. And in uh, which was a kind of a way station, it was a logical place to gather and to gather intel to remain undercover if you will. We see there in verse 1, they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. That's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is this, Rahab, watch what Rahab does. She protects the spies. Look at verse 2, and it was told to the king of Jericho, word spreads, you can't hide things from the king of Jericho. So he hears about these two men that are in the city walls, Oh, they're not from here. They're not, they're not us. They are from that imposing nation of people that are on the other side of the Jordan River. Verse two. it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. They're here to check us out. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab. You see, he knows where they are. Sends to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you and who entered into your house, entered your house. For they have come to search out all of the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And then she says to, to them, Tru, true, the, the men came here, but, I, but I, didn't, I didn't know where they were from. And, and, and when the gate was, was about to be closed at dusk uh, or at dark, the men went out. And, and I don't know where the, the, the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you, for you will overtake them. Verse 6. She had brought them up to the roof and hid them that the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Verse seven, so the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan, to the Jordan, as far as the the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Rahab has this greeting, okay, she welcomes them, Um, she she knows about them, she knows their past, Um, and she takes them up to the roof, and she hides them on the roof. So the king finds out, king finds out, goes and pursues her, goes back to Rahab. What does she do? She lies. Why does she lie? What is she doing here? What is she, why doesn't she just bring them out? Why does she, she just get them out of the city of Jericho? Well, this is all building to this very moment that we're going to see right here in the story, the most important part of the story, which is found right here in verse eleven or 8. Now watch this. Before the men laid down, she came up to them on the roof, verse 9, and said to them, to the men, quote, watch this. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Now watch this in verse 10 and 11. For we have heard now the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11, check this out. Watch this, most important part right here. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So think about what she does here. She, she tells them what she knows. Did you check that out? Did you notice that? Look at verse eight. Verse nine. I know that the Lord has given you the land. She she tells them what she already knows. She tells them what she has also not only knows, but that she has heard. I mean, they have heard about the, the parting of the Red Sea. They have heard about these other nations that Israel has conquered. They have heard not about their military power. They have heard about what? Most importantly, their God. They have heard in Jericho, she has heard about everything that God has done through this nation and through these people. You know what else she tells them there? She tells them about the condition of the hearts of the people inside the walls of Jericho. What is she, how does she describe it? Their hearts what? Melted. They're scared to death. They're fearful. They're fearful of the Israelites. They're fearful of the God of the Israelites because he's on the move. And, and, and watch what she does in verse 11. She professes her faith in the very Lord that they also follow, that the people of God also follow. It says, in the Lord your God. He is what? The God in the heavens. Sh- she acknowledges the promise. She acknowledges the Lord. She acknowledges that she has embraced in her own heart this conviction that God is the God of not only Israelites, the God of God of all things, and I've embraced it. So she professes her faith. She believes in the promise. She p- professes her understanding that God is sovereign, that God is over all of this, right? She, they, they, so, so the people, the, these two men, they're receiving this kind of intelligence which leads them to this promise to save Rahab. Look at verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord That as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. That you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Look at verse 14. When the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell the business, this business of ours, then when the Lord God gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithful with you. Look at verse 15. They tell her what to do. And, and, they, and she, she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And this is what she says to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterward, then you can go about your way, right? Verse 17, the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land and we will, and you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother your brothers and your father's household and then if anyone goes into the doors of your house and into the streets his blood shall be upon his own head and we shall be guiltless but if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house his blood shall be upon your head upon our head But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. Verse 21, and she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet, the red cord, in the window. So she seeks an oath. Why? Because she could see what was about to go down. She could see what was about to happen. She could see that the people of God were going to be victorious. Why? Because they had a greater army? No. Because they had a bigger city? No. Because they had stronger walls? No. Because they had more fortified walls? No. They're a nomadic people. She sees that they have a God, their God, my God she has embraced, that is going to defeat us. And we know this. We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know how, where he's going to do it or when, in what capacity he's going to do it. But we do know he's going to do it. And she sees this and she understands this, so she, she seeks an oath with them. And so she made them promise, right, with conditions. The scarlet cord to mark the house, even everyone in the house would be saved, everyone in the house would be secured. So she lets them down, verse 21, which leads them to them going back to Joshua. I love this story, how it ends. If you look at again at verse 22 last three verses. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And then the two men returned. Now watch this. Then they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. Did they go around all over, everywhere talking to people? No, they, came, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They told them all that had happened to them. Now watch in verse 24 as it wraps up. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given us all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us the lord has given us the land you know the people were prepared but 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 don't miss what joshua says about their hearts in verse 24 it didn't matter how sharp their swords were. It didn't matter how large their army was. What mattered was that the hearts of the people that they were about to attack had already melted away. The victory had already been done. It was over. It was over. And all they had to do was simply follow whatever God told them to do. Whatever they had to do was just simply follow the instructions of God, and God would take care of the victory when he chose to do it. And in so, in, in all of this, it wasn't that they gained confidence in themselves, they gained confidence, growing confidence in the Lord as we're gonna see this time and time again in the, in the, in the, you know, in the conquest as we move into this, this book together. They, they grew confidence in the Lord to deliver them. How? I'll tell you how. Through an unexpected picture of grace. I want you to see what God is doing And why God puts this story here for you and I. Because here's the takeaway for us this morning. When you walk away from Joshua chapter two, I want you to remember what God is saying to you out of Joshua chapter two. What he's saying to me out of Joshua chapter two. Listen, God's grace has no limitations. The grace of God has no limitations. What God is doing, yes, he's going to bring them into the promised land, but he does so by way of and via a prostitute. So let's understand what God is doing here. Because the, this unexpected alliance with Rahab gives us confidence that, listen, the Lord will provide an abundant and an eternal life to everyone, listen, everyone who surrenders to Jesus Christ His Savior and Lord. I want you to think about our life with me. I want you to think about Rahab's life with me a moment, or for a moment this morning. This is how grace works. You see, grace works like this. Think about Rahab's resume. Just think with me a moment about why would God put this woman named Rahab in this story? Why is she even here? Verses eight through 11 are really the center part, central part of this chapter. Why would God put Rahab in the middle of this story? Well, think about who she is. Think about what we know about her. Well, we do know that she lied in the story, (laughs) didn't she? She lied to her her, uh, king, she lied to those who came to see her, right? But notice that her lie is simply recorded. It's not approved, it's just simply recorded. But what we can take away from her life is that she was someone who didn't, who bent the truth. But that's not the point of the text, right? We understand what the point of the text is. It's about God's grace, right? Nor did she come from a worshiping family. I want you to think about Rahab. She didn't come from a, a family that grew up around the Torah, grew up around the law. She didn't grow up talking about Yahweh. She didn't grow up talking about Jehovah. She didn't, she didn't grow up talking about and understanding the festivals and the, and the feasts and going to the temple and, and, and worshiping the God of Moses. And, and she didn't grow up around that. She, she knew nothing about a family who would teach her about what God had said to them on Mount Sinai. She didn't know anything about that. She is someone who comes from a non-worshiping family. She's a Canaanite someone who's already been you know, kicked out, someone who has already been crossed off the list. She certainly is part of an unholy nation. She is a pagan. She is not in a city where she, when she walks down and goes to the marketplace to buy her goods or when she goes and buys some clothing or when she walks across town, she's going to interact with or meet anyone, anyone who worships God, the God in which we worship this morning. She's not going to interact with anyone. She's not met with anyone. She's not interacted with anyone who has spoken into her life, who has been gracious enough to talk to her about who the real God of the the Bible is, the real God of the of all of creation is. She has not had any interaction with anyone. So she comes from a family that is non-worshiping family. She comes from a nation that is an unholy nation. And by the way, she doesn't have much to go on. She has no book. She has no Torah. She, she has no prophet who has spoken into her life. She has no prophet from God who's come alongside her and spoken truth into her life. She's had none, nothing, none of that. Now all of those things are amazing in and of themselves, but the most amazing thing is she is someone who is un, most unlikely to somehow some way be saved, or somehow some way be, be uh, uh, redeemed, if you will, or, or, or saved from her from losing her life. She's a prostitute. You know what she's used to doing? She's used to selling her body for another person's pleasure and for profit. You think God wants somebody like that in his kingdom? You think God wants to have any kind of mercy or grace upon poured out upon someone like that? Someone who's alone in the sense of what they're doing with their occupation. I mean, these are God's people. These are holy people. These are people who are following him. These are people who have the Ten Commandments. These are the people who have the the, the law of Moses. These are the people. How in the world does someone like her fit in with someone like them? Yet, we see this picture of unexpected grace right here in chapter two. Why is God putting it here for us? You see, in the midst of this, in, in, in all of her deficiencies, and all of her her, if you want to call it spiritual resume that would not at all put her on the same level as anyone coming out of Egypt, coming across the, the wilderness on the precipice of crossing the Jordan into the promised land, somehow, some way she believes and she responds, which leads her to saving faith. In the midst of this, in the midst of all of that she's experiencing and seeing and, and, and going through in her life, she somehow, someway it, it steps across that line and has this saving faith, this belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we understand that because, look, listen, in the New Testament, there are two places that God brings us to Rahab of all people. In James chapter two, James references her in James chapter two, verse 25. This is what it says, that her faith was commended to her. She was commended for her good works, rather. James, James is gonna use her as an example and says, listen, in the midst of this, James chapter two, verse 25, says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prophet justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? I mean, that's what faith is, right? It's believing in something. She's going to then be, be brought up again. And the writer of Hebrews brings this up again. Hebrews chapter 11, she shows up in the Hall of Fame of Faith. She shows up as someone who has embraced and says, By faith, Aeth Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a, a friendly welcome to the spies. She didn't have the upbringing, she didn't have the book, she didn't have the prophet, she didn't have the influence, she didn't have any of that. What she had heard and what she had believed had become this conviction in her life. You see, understand this, that this is what faith does. Faith changes us. What Rahab does is Rahab points us to this grace, church. Rahab points us to the grace of God. She had heard about what had happened. She had heard about what God had done. She had heard about the truth of what what God had done, both coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, and into the the wilderness. She knew all that God had done. Isn't that how faith begins? You know, if you're going to have faith, or if I'm going to have faith, or someone outside of this room that you know of is going to have faith in Jesus Christ alone, you know what has to happen in their life first? got to hear about it. Faith comes from what? Hearing, and hearing from the word of God. You, you know that verse, right? Oh, she ex- exercised faith in what she had heard. She heard, and then, of course, she believes, right? I mean, this is what the story teaches us, right? Faith is, is, is not something that is, listen, a feeling, Faith is not something that, that is a feeling or somehow indigestion that you wake up with. I've got faith in something. Faith is something that is growing. Faith is something that is real. Faith is something that is continuing to progress. It is when I hear about what God is doing in the lives of other people, when I hear the word of God in my ears, when I see it played out, when I see it transforming lives, then my faith is growing. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what it's like on a Sunday morning when you come into a room like this and you've been beaten up all week? Spiritually beaten up. Maybe you struggle with some sort of area of sin in your life and you're like, God, forgive me, I repent of it. And then two days later, bam, you fall on your face and you sin again. And then you come in here feeling all guilty, feeling all broken, feeling all beaten up, right? Then you sing next to someone or someone standing in front of you or someone standing behind you and they're singing to the Lord, right? They're singing about the hymn of heaven. They're singing about the things that God has told us and taught us and they're doing it joyfully. Doesn't that encourage you? And you see someone who used to be a certain way, who used to live a certain way, who used to think a certain way, who used to speak a certain way, right? Or do certain things and all of a sudden you look at their life. Now and you think, man, I remember when they were like that. But now they're like this. Man, God's really changed their lives. Your faith is growing. Faith is growing. You're growing with courage. You're growing with with this desire to follow God even more. This is what's happening here. We see this. Rahab points us to this particular grace because it begins with the grace of God. She, She hears about what God has done. She has this, This this, this faith in, in not in what she has felt, but what she knows to be true, which then leads to this conviction. Faith leads us to this conviction. I mean, verse 11, what does she say? She declares the Lord, the Lord. Not your Lord, not your God. I've got a different God than you, or I worship a different God than you. No, the Lord. She's declaring her faith in the same Lord that they have believed in. It's become a conviction in her heart. You see, Rahab shows us the grace of God, the great grace of God. Understand this, that greatness, I'm sorry, that, that, that the greatness of sin is no barrier to God's ability and his willingness to pardon our lives. It didn't matter what you've done in your life. It didn't matter where you've been in your life. It didn't matter how, how much you've ruined your heart, how much you've ruined the relationships around you. It didn't matter how much you have damaged and butchered your life or butchered the lives of other people. God steps into your life if you're willing, and in his grace and mercy, and he pours out that out upon your life. Listen, what Rahab met and who Rahab met that day. Not only this day, but the day in which the people of God, as she peered out her window and saw on the horizon the Israelites coming towards Jericho, and as she saw them, as we're going to see, marching around Jericho, as she witnessed and watched God, she met a God who was a God of justice, of judgment, upon the people in the next room over, and in the next room over, in the next house over, in the next other place over. She's going to watch them die. She meets a God who is a God of justice but she's going to experience also a God of mercy and grace because at the end of the siege, she and her family are still going to be alive. How? Did Rahab earn that? Do you think she deserved it? I mean, was there something in her life that maybe she she went and cleaned her life up, maybe she she renounced being a prostitute, she renounced all that, and she, she said, you know, No. In her state, she turned to God. She says, I've heard these things. These are the heart, this is the condition of the hearts of everyone around me. I believe in that Lord, in that God, and I'm gonna do what it takes to allow that God to have success here, no matter what the cost is. And she lets them down through the window You see, Rahab points us to the grace of God. I want you to understand something this morning, that God's grace is made evident in Jesus Christ alone. We know that, don't we? God's grace is manifest and is evident in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know where else Rahab shows up? Y'all ready for this? She shows up in Matthew chapter 1. You know what's in Matthew chapter 1? A lot of names. You know why there's a lot of names there? Because it's the family, listen, family lineage of Jesus. Rahab's there. You think I worship a God who is merciful and gracious. You look back in Jesus' family history, There's a harlot who was a Canaanite. Matthew chapter one, verse five, she shows up again. Now listen, God guarantees his blessings for believers who believe in Jesus Christ alone, even through the line of a Rahab. See, salvation was secured for us in Christ Jesus. He gave us his life. He gave up his life, rather, in the place of ours. Listen, this morning, you need to understand, I need to understand, Jesus Christ is our scarlet thread it Is hanging out that window. Jesus Christ is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who has offered these things. Understand this, God's grace has no limitations. I love these two verses. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 20, 21 because I, know, I understand, understand this, that I think that a lot of us think that we have to clean our lives up before we come to Jesus. Oh, I've been in a lot of conversations about that. People think that they have to fix this or fix that or do this or do that. Or you don't understand my life, Pastor Sonny. You don't understand my life. You don't understand what I've done. No, I don't. No, I don't. But you know who does? The Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what the Bible says to you and to me, Romans chapter five, verse 20 and 21, that where sin increased and it is increasing and it will continue to increase in your life, where sin increases, you know what happens? Grace abounds all the more. You want to keep sinning and you want to keep being broken and you want to keep going down the, the wrong path, that's okay. God's grace will continue to rise above your sin so that when you are willing to and really willing to come to Jesus and to surrender to him, finally surrender to him and turn away from those broken patterns of sin in your life, you know what you are met with? You are met with a God of justice and judgment, but you are also met with a God of mercy and grace just like Rahab. And I love what verse 21 says. So that sin reigns, in as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a period. You See, understand this, and I want to tell you the story of two women. There were once two women. One woman grew up in a very religious household. She grew up um, with a very religious husband. She grew up with the... Um, Uh, with, with, with a very important responsibility, a very important task. She was going to carry in her womb a very important child. That's woman number one. I'll tell you about woman number two. Woman number two was someone who was the bottom, if you will, of society. Woman number two was someone who was not respected, someone who was not religious, very religious in her life. She was somewhat scorned for her life. In fact, she had no value in her life to others except for those who wanted her for pleasure and for profit. And that is the story of the only two women in the hall of Fame of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, both Sarah and Rahab. You know what they have in common? Not much. But you know what they do have in common? They both express their faith in the Lord, in his way. And because they exercise this saving faith in the Lord, they land in Hebrews chapter 11. What unexpected grace. Grace. So how do you and I just respond to that, that amazing grace? How do you respond to it, right? The Bible tells us that if the way in which we respond to God's grace in our life is both acknowledging our understanding of our sin and our brokenness and how far we are from God. You see, it doesn't matter the people that you think of and thought of earlier in this service about how far they are from, from the Lord. It doesn't matter how deeply they hurt you. I've had people in my life who have deeply hurt me. It doesn't matter how far they are from the Lord and how deeply they've hurt your life. It doesn't matter how far you are if you're in the room today that, that, that you are from the Lord and the pathway that you're on. What God says to you and what he says to me and what he says to those people who are still far from God is that he still loves them. And his plan to rescue you is the same plan to rescue them. And so for us, how do we respond to that amazing grace? Well, the Bible simply says this, to understand that God is perfect, he's holy, and there is no sin in him. God isn't just look at you and turn another cheek at your sin. It's not how God works, right? He's perfect and he's holy in every way. The sin cannot be in his presence, and yet at the same time, you and I, man, humanity, we are sinners, we are broken, we have embraced poor decision-making in our life, we've butchered our lives, we've, we've hurt people, we've deeply scarred individuals, we have, we have worried, we have uh, we've lusted, we've lied, we've done all of these little things, we've done some bigger things, we've hurt people along the way, right? We're sinners, we're broken, we're not perfect, and so because of our imperfection and because of God's perfection, I cannot be in the presence of a holy God. I can't. I, I can't live my life and I can't be, per, I can't be good enough. I can't just kind of try to be a good model citizen. I can't even serve my nation, by the way, in military and, and, and be active in my community. I can't do all of these things and then say that is enough to get me into heaven and stand before God one day and he looks at me and says, boy, come on in. That's not how it works, right? We understand that sin is what separates us. Sin is what keeps us away from God because he's perfect and holy in every way. But you see, God did not want you and I not to be with him, which is why he sent his son Jesus into the world to save us. And he died the death that you and I deserve on the cross. He paid the penalty that you and I needed to pay. He went to the cross on our behalf, which then leads to the response that if I respond to him by faith, if I believe in him by faith, if I say yes to him and go all in for Jesus Christ with my life, God then will save me. He will step into my life. His mercy and his grace is poured out upon my life. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God saves you, he redeems you, and he sets you on a course, on a path of becoming more like him. How do you respond to amazing grace? We ought to express, we ought to respond with faith as Christians. For those of us in the room that are not followers of Jesus yet, you respond with faith to embrace Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. I want you to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. We're going to have a time in our service we call a response time. Our band worship team is going to come up, and they're going to simply lead us in a song of faith, a song of expression of our faith to God. And just respond in that way. You know, respond in faith to what God has done for you what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. I'll be here at the front. We'll be here at the front to receive anyone this morning who wants to come for prayer. If you wanna come and give your life to Jesus Christ, we'll be here. If you wanna come and join our church, if you wanna come and be baptized as you witnessed and saw someone be baptized today, maybe that's you. You've never been baptized believer as a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you. Maybe God's leading you into the ministry, missions. God's speaking to you about a particular matter in your life that you just need prayer over or a decision when it comes to ministry or something. That's why we have this time of response because we never leave the word of God without responding to what God says to us. And God has given us his grace and it is limitless. Let's worship him. Let's respond to him. Let me pray. We'll stand and sing together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for how you've shown us that grace through Rahab how you poured out your grace and mercy on your people as you brought them into the promised land. So we're going to see, God, you did great things and you're still doing great things in our lives, in the life of our church. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing with us in worship. Thank you for tuning in to one of our services. We would love to invite you, if you're ever in the Livingston area, to worship with us. We're located at 503 Northeast Avenue in Livingston, Texas. Here at Central Baptist, we are an intergenerational body of baptized believers with a blended style of praise who value expositional preaching, meaningful membership, consistent discipleship across all ages, and a gospel emphasis both locally and globally. If you'd like more information about Central, please visit our website at centrallivingston.com. Once again, thank you and have a blessed day.